Good morning and greetings to each one in the name of our Lord and Savior. I bring greetings to you from Harmony. It's a blessing to be here. Just one thought I had this morning. John made a, Brother John made a comment on God is good and moderating. As many of you know, Clinton and Brussels probably even better than we do. Um, the other day my wife and I were in to visit and Clinton made that comment and their daughter Rebecca was over in Tanzania for many years and she had to come home because of all the government unrest and stuff. And I said, I thought about it, you know, if it wouldn't have been for that, she probably would still be over there. Or, And Clinton just said, isn't God good? I just guess I just had to think of that. He's still seeing the goodness of God through all they're going through. So this morning for a message, my title is The Assurance of Salvation and the Ditch on Either Side. So before we go further, let's pray. Father in heaven, we... Thank you again for a new day. Thank you for life and health and for the many blessings you give us. Thank you for this opportunity to gather to worship you. I just pray that you would be with us through the rest of the day. As we know, this is a special day of the time of baptism also. Lord, I just pray, especially for those that are planning for baptism. Lord, I pray that you would direct my thoughts and lips according to your will. I pray you would bless each one here. In Jesus' name, amen. And I just want to throw a little diagram on the board if we can try to get a visual a little bit of what I'm thinking of. If we can picture this as a road, and there's a ditch on either side. And a lot of times the road is crowned. And you have to make effort to stay in the middle or you can go in the ditch. So this is assurance. Of salvation. And then the one side would be can't know you're saved. And the other side would be eternal security. If we can picture that, there is there is some thinking on either side of that. And what what do we believe about our salvation? And it is it is is it important to know? Do we have assurance? And are we influenced by the thinkings in the ditch? Again, we can't know we're saved or eternal security. We're once once saved, always saved. And this message is, comes from something I've been thinking about for possibly years already. Why many people might be in the ditch and come out and will go sometimes the whole way to the other ditch or at least part way beyond staying in the center. I have to think compared to if you're driving, say, an older vehicle with the steering is loose. Say you're driving your one wheels in a ditch and you're steering way up and you get out and then you go up. But you've got to correct your steering or you go right, possibly right in the other ditch. That's kind of what I was thinking about. And spiritually, we need to walk humbly and carefully when we're out of the ditch, not just blindly saying, especially I'm thinking, I guess, more coming out of this ditch, not just blindly saying I'm saved and go on in a carefree life. So why, does, why is it important to know that what we do about our salvation or what we believe about our salvation? I think it affects our view of conversion and baptism, kind of put them together, and how we live life and how we view and face death or funerals. And I will come back to those later, think more about those. So what is salvation? It's the act, process, or result of deliverance from danger, bondage, disease, or sin. And salvation is a free gift of God granted to lost and undeserving men who trust in righteousness of Christ and humble themselves in submission to his will and living by the Bible. 
So let's first think about, we can never know for sure we're saved. Let's, I want to look at that first of all. And this is more common among a people who feel it is a form of pride to claim assurance of a right standing with God. And the thinking can be we simply should do the best we know, obey the Bible, live out the church standard, and hope that everything is all right. Is that biblical? We do want to be free from pride, self-confidence, but to simply hope, and I'm saying just a hope, not a confident hope, not a, when we think of a lively hope, would be more than just look at the sky, hope it rains, but hope, a confident hope. There is a difference. If we're having a hope, just maybe, are we really trusting God for our salvation? And can the joy of the Lord be our strength? If we are questioning, is my relationship with God right? Is he satisfied with me? That's some of the thinking that comes with that. And it can become a works-based salvation or works-focused life. Am I good enough? And I will say this can be in other settings too. A lot of works, like even in worldly people I've talked to that don't believe in God, may tell us how much good they've done. So it can be other places too. But good works without salvation is very little value. I mean, yes, it's good to humanity, but it, we know that it won't save us. And in this, in this thinking, there's often a wrong view of God. It's a, a wrong fear of God. Instead of awe and reverence, it's more of a being afraid of God. A fear, fear of messing up and Him striking us dead, that kind of thinking that we're not we have a wrong thinking. We are not just trusting in him. No, yes, he is great, but we will not be have a right fear of him. Now, the next point is, I have six points of some reason for lacking assurance. The first one is a lack of faith in 1 John 1, 9. We need faith to have assurance. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So we have to believe that God will forgive those who come to him in repentance and confession. We have to have faith to truly believe God has forgiven our sins. And if we don't, if we can't believe that, we will not have assurance. We can't, we won't have a peace and a joy like it should be. And it shows we do not believe God and his word if we do not have faith and believe that. Second point for a reason of lack of assurance is lack of commitment and surrender. How can we have assurance if we have not completely surrendered everything to God? If we're not completely committed to him, if we're careless with our lives. And I think we know in our heart if we are surrendered. And if we're not surrendered, there's still we still have a feeling we need to keep in control. There will be more an anxiety and unrest. If we're not completely surrendered, we feel like we need to keep things together. We need to control things. But if we're truly surrendered to God, trusting in Him, we can have a rest and a peace. The third point is unconfessed sin. And I don't think I need to elaborate on that a lot. I think we know unconfessed sin will hinder our assurance. So we know it says sin cannot enter heaven. And in Proverbs it talks about if we cover our sins, we will not prosper. So if we have unconfessed sin, we cannot have assurance of our salvation. The fourth point is sins of omission. I think of like the rich man and Lazarus. He lifted up his eyes in hell. And I believe that was because he lived, it says he fared sumptuously, so he lived very rich, but the rich man was there at his gate and he didn't give. And when we think of that, we will have a sin of omission is what I'm thinking of is God giving us clear opportunities to do right and we fail. 
God had a job for us, something for us to do, and we shirked our duty. If we, we know we did that, we will not have the confidence of our salvation. I think we will feel guilty. And this obviously is for things we obviously knew about and had time for. I don't think we need to feel guilty. Did I miss something? Am I not doing something God wants us to do, wants me to do? This is for things that we clearly shirked, we did not do. Fifth, if we're growing distant from God, we will probably or should doubt our salvation, our assurance of salvation. Because with going away from God, usually goes comes along with that is carelessness and negligence in our lives. That's kind of usually goes together. If we're going away from God, we're not living a careful, obedient life. And the sixth, depending on feelings, is another thing we can start to doubt our salvation. And I had to think of that when Brother Warren talked about that song, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." He made a comment about our faith should be strong enough to carry us through from the high time to the low time. So if we're we're just going by our feelings, that probably won't happen. We need to look at have faith and trust him him. And we all have feelings but don't depend on but don't depend on them only. We do have feelings. First we need facts and then faith and then the feelings. What are facts? They're the solid, unchanging truths of God's Word. Faith needs to rest on the facts. And then our feelings need to rest on our faith. And if we go, go by only our feelings, where will we be? Probably not at a very good place. We will be up and down. And the Ethiopian eunuch provides a good illustration with regarding to facts, faith, and feelings. He was reading in the Old Testament when Philip met him. We say he was getting the facts. Philip made the facts clear to him, and as he did so, the eunuch responded with faith, and his faith moved him to action. When they came to some water, the eunuch stopped the chariot, went down into the water, and was baptized. Where were the feelings? The story says that Philip was called away, and the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. And that is an excellent picture how faith, facts, and feelings should work. So again, focus on the facts, rest your faith on the facts, and the feelings will find their place. That will come naturally. So, and, and back to again now to some of the reasons of thinking we can't know if we're saved. I think could come from different inter- interpretations of being saved. I think there's some people would think we say we're saved means basically eternal security. And you can't know because you're still alive yet. You can't know for sure you're going to be faithful to the end. Some people would say, how can you say you're saved if you're still alive? Because you still could fall into sin, fall away from God. Because you're still alive. It's some, some people might have that thinking. Because the Bible says, he that endures to the end shall be saved. Now the next thing I want to look at is the thinking of once saved, always saved. And I think probably many of you have run into that already with people you meet. That thinking. I remember years ago, a couple had come to church a few times. And we... I'm not sure how long it was, not real long, but we, everything seemed to be the same way, the same thinking until one day, eternal security thinking came up or his, he realized that's what his thinking was. And he quoted in John 10, I think I'll turn to there, John 28 and 29. It was some of the verses he brought out. John 28 and 29, And I will give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So if you just look at them verses, it could appear like 
Once you're in the Father's hand, no man can pluck them out. But now I want to read the whole, the whole context. Let's start at verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe not because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So if we look at verse, well, it talks about sheep. Who does it say cannot be plucked out of my Father's hand? It's saying, sheep, my sheep, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and I give them eternal life. So are we his sheep if we're not following him, if we're living in sin? Are we his sheep if we walked away? I think you have to look at the whole context to see that, to believe that we cannot fall away from God is scriptural. Because we have to be his sheep in order to make, that is what that verse is saying. We have to be his sheep. And as we talked, I know I quoted some verses to him, like, He that endures to the end shall be saved. He that doeth the will of my Father. And I remember it, yeah, that made him very angry. But some other verses I want to look at, well, I don't think we will not turn there, but John 3.16 says, Whosoever believeth, I just can't get it now, but I'll just turn to it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we could say, well, there it says whoever believes. But again, believing is more than just head knowledge, but goes to believing would include living. And then... Hebrews 10:36. If we think about some more verses on why we can lose our salvation, or that the Scripture shows that we can, Hebrews 10:36 to 39. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not and will tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul have, shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So you see it says here, if any draw back. And drawing back would mean to cower or to shrink back. So if we draw back, my soul have, shall have no pleasure in them. And then it talks about, again, of them that believe to the saving of the soul. It's a continuing on. In Galatians 6, 6 and, I'm sorry, Galatians 6, 1. I'm sorry, Galatians 1, 6. Marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So you can see, he says he's amazed that so soon we are removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. So it's showing somebody pulling away or removing themselves from the gospel. And also Revelation, I don't think I'll turn to that. We're familiar to the churches there. It says about the ones that had lost, the church had lost their first love. It's another one that they're no longer following the Lord. And what does the Lord, or Jesus say there? It says repent. They've lost their first love. They need to repent. So with that whole thing of believing we can never be, once we're born again, we can never lose our salvation. Some of the thinking 
would be good, that good works are not necessarily necessary or absolutely necessary to stay, stay saved. You only lose your rewards. But can still just so enter heaven. But if you think that whole thing through, if you're not doing good works, what are you doing? I believe we're sinning. And then, as I said before, sin cannot enter heaven. I think it's that simple. If we're not walking in obedience, we are not living for the Lord. We are sinning and sin cannot enter heaven. Now the next point is, what what is assurance of salvation? It's simply knowing we are saved. It is not some lofty feeling. It is a quiet confidence that all is well with our soul based on God's word. And I think there's a rest and a peace in our hearts that all is well with our soul. And it has to be based on God's word. And I think God wants us to have assurance. 1 John 5.13 says, that that would be his heart. First John 5.13 These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So we can have confidence that we are His if we believe and live for Him. And we, if we do our part, we can have full confidence that God will keep His word as it relates to His part in our salvation. But we need to do our part, and that is believing and living. And assurance is also, I want to turn to Colossians. It has another if there in Colossians 1.21. So we think of if is not no matter what, but as if we do these things. Verse 21, I'll start. Colossians 1, 21. And ye that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by the wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. So, we can have assurance if we continue in the faith, rooted and grounded, like it says here, and be not moved away from the gospel. And I believe assurance is balancing of the two ditches. Sometimes we, can, we might even use the same verses, but if we use all from one side or the other, we will obviously be in one ditch or the other. We need to balance them and use them in context. Now I want to look at six tests that confirm our assurance. These are mostly in 1 John, if you want to turn to them. The first one is walking in the light. First John 1, 6 and 7. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us, cleanseth us from all sin. What is walking in the light? I believe is doing what we know is right. It means living in openness and honesty. Are we open and honest? Are we hiding something? We can hide some things from man, but nothing from God. And the other thing is to show we're walking in the light is having fellowship one with another. In verse 7, it's not just God and me. And we need to, yes, have a relationship with God, be clear with God, but also connected with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's a test showing we're walking in the light. Number two is tests of confession, and that's in 1 John 1, 9 and 10. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Here again, that word if, if we confess. So we need to be confessing sins if we sin, if we want to maintain assurance. We're human, we're not perfect, so we will need to confess. And I think we need to have an attitude of repentance when we confess, being truly sorry for a sin and hating it. And if we truly are sorry, we will put it away. Or our confession has very little value. It's just a verbal thing. It needs to be hating it enough to put it away, to get rid of it or quit doing it or whatever. The second test of assurance is test of obedience. First John 2, 3 to 5. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. I'm sorry, I'm in I'm in chapter three. Chapter two. First John two, three to five. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word and in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. So, we need to love God and serve him from the heart. It cannot be forced to be much value. Yes, we can do obedience by force or by, because we have to, or grudgingly, or even partial obedience. But if we're only doing it out of a must or partly obeying, we will not have assurance and rest and peace. That all is well. As we, we know it says many places again, we need to be obedient to enter heaven. Verse 3 said, Hereby we know, we do know, if we keep his commandments, that we know him. And verse 5, again, hereby know we that we are in him. And this is talking about walking in obedience. We know that we are in him if we walk in obedience. Four is test of loyalty. Loyalty. First John two fifteen and sixteen. Love not the world, neither the things that are that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. I think those are familiar verses to us. And it's easy to understand where is our heart. It talks about in the world, for all that is in the world, and we should not love the things that are in the world. So what draws our attention? Where is our devotion? What do we we go after? And if we're drawn to things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, Says it is not of the Father, but is of the world. So, can we have feel? Can we have assurance of our salvation if we're drawn to the things of the world? It will show who's on the throne of our heart. And if we're drawn to the world, we should question: Is the Lord, is Jesus truly Lord of my heart? Is that who I'm truly following? The fifth is test of conscience. First John three twenty and twenty one. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. So we can have assurance of our salvation if our heart is clear, our conscience, we don't feel anything any guilt. And that's how it will be unless we continually go against what our conscience is telling us. We can, we know we can harden our heart. And if, if we keep doing that long enough, we will not have a sensitive conscience. And I know some people have a very sensitive conscience, and some not much, but we know that if we continue hardening, it, hardening our heart, we cannot go by it. But normally, we can. So, if, if we feel free of guilt, we can have a, that's one of the tests of assurance of our salvation. And the sixth one is test of love. 
1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So, who do we need to have love for? First of all, for God. And I believe our brothers and sisters, which I would mentioned earlier, I think though that cannot be separated. And I think of... I'm not sure where that verse is. It says about how can we say we love God if we love, if we do not love those who we, who we see are our brothers or sisters. And if I, I think if we're struggling with ill feelings or bad feelings towards someone else, the assurance will be not be there of our salvation if we're holding grudges or whatever. So those are six tests we can have for our assurance of our, of our salvation. So what are you thinking about your salvation? And I think where we get our information is a big thing about what we think of our salvation. I think if there's many things, like what kind of books we read, if we use the internet, where do we go? All those things, blogs, preachers. What, what is the, where are they coming from? What is the source? And I think of some of the thing, the people we should look at their lives. Well, do we want to be, maybe what they're saying is all right, but let's look at their lives and think of some situation you can even see the fruits, their children, grandchildren, that kind of thing. It's all part of, does it look like it, does it look like it's working in their life? For we don't want to just have faith ourselves. And believe in God ourselves, but we hope to, if the Lord tarries, pass our faith on to future generations. So our sources where we get information, I think, will affect where we're at here. Do they, are we staying in the middle or are they going to pull us over? I especially think of pulling us that way. That will affect how we view salvation. And I'll get into more of that later. And can we expect to have close connections to people who do not uphold our doctrines and beliefs and think that won't affect us? And we should think about how well it affect our children. I mean, I know we want to be a witness and reach out to people, but to have real close ties with people that believe very different, I think will pull us. And farther and farther... I think once we start going, it tends to pull us farther in that way. And I think, how bad do we want to stay in the center? I think of some years ago, we lived, we used to live in Perry County and I was gonna, we were going away and we came to a road and it said no winter maintenance, but I thought, well, I have four wheel drive. And we started going up, it was a, it was a dirt road. I remember it was icy. And we started going up and up, and there was a vehicle started coming down backwards. I'm sorry, I think it was backing up. They couldn't make it. So to my right was a ditch, I bet, five or eight feet deep like the, um, for the water to run. And the other side, I went down the mountain with trees. And I think I remember the boys that were along, it, we were scared. I mean, I don't remember all the details, but we eventually stopped, and we found the log in the woods and put that on the pickup for weight. But thankfully, we made it down safely. So, how bad do we want that? I knew I wanted to stay out of the ditch. And eventually, we got turned around and we went down. But that's why I think we should fear staying out of those ditches. It will affect how we live our lives. Now, back to what I started out with. Our view of salvation affects how we view conversion and baptism. And I had to think of that. I had preached this message before, but I had to think when I heard you're having a baptism. I thought it would go well with that. Some use, some believe when an infant is baptized, they are saved. I just have a few readings from the Martyr's Mirror. Several different views, first of all. And if anybody wants to read, it's a lot. Some of it's hard to follow, but it's on page 384 and 85 of the Martyr's Mirror. 
Hence God the Lord requires and demands through His Word of all men of understanding a true reformation and a renewing from these from these their own actual sins. That is, that through the hearing of the Word of God they receive the faith, become regenerated from above of God, be created anew in the inner mind of the heart according to the image of God and circumcised being translated from the carnal into the spiritual, from unbelief into faith, from that which is earthly minded and like Adam into that which is heavenly minded and like Jesus Christ, that they crucify and mortify their earthly members and feel, prove, and taste that which is heavenly and not that which is earthly. To this God promises life and peace and all heavenly riches. And then... There's several different views. Um, Some of these would be on infant baptism. And wherever this renewing and conversion of the mind and the heart is not found, among all all those who who know sin have served it, their Christ and the life do not exist. And without this renewing, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, baptism nor supper, nor any ceremonies, however glorious they may appear, avail nothing. And as the man in the beginning is brought forth with pain and anguish from the Bible, so the second spiritual generation is also called a birth. And it takes place with godly sorrow over sin and the crucifying and mortifying of the earthly members. So it is a, it's not just a little thing, but it is a, we need godly sorrow over sin and crucifying of our earthly members. On the other hand, the assertion of those who ascribe regeneration to newborn infants and say that without this they cannot be saved is rejected as a grave error. Some of these found regeneration upon infant baptism, maintaining that as soon as they have their children baptized, they are also, through this ceremony of baptism, regenerated. And I think we would know that that is false. Since Almighty God nowhere in His Holy Word speaks of the regeneration of infants, and though children are conceived in sin or born from sinful seed, yet they have never known, served, or practiced sin from which they might be regenerated, converted, and renewed in their mind and heart. So that's just a few things we could see that we, that we, if we're baptized in an infant, we are not saved. Some other views, some believe, say a little prayer and you're saved. And that can be at a very young age. Our confession of faith says, We believe and confess that all who put their faith and confidence in Jesus Christ shall be saved. Man must respond with faith in the sacrifice of Christ. Our faith leads us to repent of our sinful life. And now, repentance includes godly sorrow, hatred for former sins, confession of sins, seeking for deliverance and victory. And baptism is to be administered only to repentant believers of responsible age who have testified of their faith. And that is something we hope to see today. We do not accept infant baptism because we believe children under are under grace before the age of accountability. Baptism is not salvation, but rather one of the earliest acts of obedience and public commitment in the life of a believer. Baptism should never be taken lightly. And each of us needs to count the cost of his decision before baptism. That that would come from a confession of faith. and But now I want to think, what do you believe? What do I believe? What is conversion and baptism? I think a wrong view that can affect us most, I think, is say a little prayer and you're saved. No, we say we don't believe in infant baptism. But just say a little prayer and we're saved. I think we have to be careful with that. And here's an example I found. I don't know where I got it, but I'll just read it off. It's it's from a non-Anabaptist setting. says salvation prayer, a prayer to lead a person to Jesus. 
starts out with Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if you confess your, with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And then the prayer is, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. I believe he is the Son of God. I believe he came to this earth, gave his life and shed his blood for me, Because he loves me. I believe he was raised from the dead so that he can be raised from spiritual death and have eternal life. I repent of my sin. I turn from my old life and turn to Jesus and a brand new life. I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. I receive Jesus Christ into my heart as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I am now in the family of God. I am his son and daughter. And then at the bottom it has scriptures for salvation. It would be mainly scriptures that talk about believing, confess and believe to be saved. Believe would give power. And that is all true and right. We need to believe. But if we think about that, even a very young person could say that, this prayer. And I I don't want to judge, you know, where I'm not sure where this came from. But it has nothing about after that. Continuing on in our lives, discipling, living for the Lord. The focus is on believing and being saved. And then I have one from an Anabaptist source. It starts out a lot the same. A lot of the same, pretty much the same. Then again, then at the bottom it has more to it. Some of the things, it says after you have been born again, you will want to forsake sin as a Christian you can no longer indulge in sin live a changed life and these all have verses with them but you will want to live a different life one of service to the one who saved you read the Bible and pray to the Christian life you must spend much time reading the Bible and talking to the Lord in prayer and find a church to remain faithful and maintain your walk with the Lord, you need to fellowship with other Christians. Join yourselves to a self to a church that believes and practices the Bible and be baptized. Baptism is the outward sign and testimony of what has happened in your heart. And then tell others. Tell others what Christ has done for you. Don't be ashamed to confess Him as your Savior. The Christian life is a battlefield, not a bed of roses. To be born again is the only beginning. As a Christian, you will face many difficult temptations. Don't despair. The Lord has promised that we can have victory because of the shed blood of Jesus. The Christian life is worth the difficulties. So you can see, yes, we need to get born again. We need to be converted. But that is only the beginning. We need to live a life of continuing repentance and walking with the Lord. And when I think of this saying a prayer and we're saved, I think of earlier this year, there was an old man used to walk past us on the road and we would have talked about, we wonder who he is, what he was doing. And one day I met him. I didn't agree with everything he talked about, but one thing stood out to me. He said he used to be, work for Billy Graham when he had his crusades. His job was to follow up with people that responded at the Crusades. And what he found, he said they would go there and they said very few were sincere. So he was, he was against that kind of thing. And I don't want to condemn what Billy Graham did. I believe people have been born again through that and having revivals and that is good. But he was, his thinking was, I believe it was a emotion. It was not a sincere repentance. And another thing, uh, thinking about this whole thing of just saying a prayer. Years ago, was, we were going into a detention center, working with young men. And there was a man that went with us. I think he was a chaplain. He was along sometimes. It was from non, non-Anabaptist setting. And we pretty much agreed with him till one time at the end of our session, he asked the man, young man, do you want to get born again? And he didn't really say anything. 
But this man kept pressuring, and finally this young man said yes. And he went through, led him to the Lord. But I didn't feel good about it. It seemed like this young man felt that's what he had to do, say yes. And so that's some of the thinking. If we just, it's very dangerous if we just, if just get them born again, say yes, and then they're saved. So that's another thing a little closer home. This is in a mostly Mennonite setting I was at one time. And this man said that morning him and his son and grandson had went out witnessing in the community. And he said six people got saved that morning. And I guess, yeah, praise the Lord, they were out witnessing, but I had to think. It just felt too much like any nominal way of thinking. Go out, tell them Jesus loves you and get saved. I don't know if there's any follow-up. And I, I think possibly, and I didn't actually talk to the man about it. And I probably should have. But what my point is, when we just get people to say a little prayer, is it really conversion? I think maybe it's making a decision, but not counting the cost and surrendering our heart to the Lord. The, the sad thing about that is people can say a little sinner's prayer, think they're saved, and they go through life deceived. That's, that's a very sad place to be in. I know of at least one or two situations that that happened. They were this was in a very young age. They did that, and later they questioned their salvation. They were confused. They didn't really know what to do with it. So that was that's I guess my heart about that thing of we don't believe in infant baptism, but we do need to make sure someone is has enough time and is old enough to count the cost and truly surrender to the Lord. And I'm not saying I see this here or anything. I'm just saying some things I've, ever, I've thought of over the years. The, the next point is, our view of salvation affects how we live. It affects how we live our lives. I think if we're in the side over here, we can't know if we're saved. We will probably live a more careful life. And we're, we're more like thinking, we're hoping we're good enough trying to obey the Bible and the church. But we get in, if we get enlightened, get born again, we get out of this ditch. And we might be saying, praise the Lord, I'm free. So we, we get out. And if we don't overcorrect or correct our steering, we start go beyond the center of the road and we can start going in the other ditch and start getting a little bit of that eternal security thinking and that will affect how we live our life. And I think we'll be more careless with how we live our life. And we might have a tendency to start questioning, does this matter? Does that matter? Does it really make a difference? After all, I'm saved. I just want to live for Jesus. That's, that's all I want to do, live for Jesus. Does this matter? Does that matter? And earlier I talked about the man who believed in eternal security. And I told him there would be very little motivation to live a holy life if we're eternally saved. We could we could say we yep we're going to still live a holy life, but could we? I don't. It would not be the same. And and like I don't know. Remember what all I said to him, what I thought. But as I said, there would be no point in living a holy life, no point in good works, and yet the Bible says we are judged by our works. That, again, would go against eternal security. So can you imagine a church full of people believing in eternal security? What kind of church would we have? And I had preached this somewhere else, and then somebody came to me later and said, there are churches like that. Yeah, I guess. And I don't want to judge whole settings, but if that thinking is there, it's going to come out different in in our lives, how we live. So we want to stay in the center, assurance of salvation. Titus 2.12 says, We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Soberly, righteously, and godly. Can we do that if we start going over into 
feeding on that other side, whether it's, we could put anything in there. And I might repeat what I said earlier, but music, books, preachers, whatever. Do we think we can feed on things from that side and not drift over there in our way of living our life? Well, while we do that, do we think we can do that? And the last point is, our view of salvation affects how we view death and funerals. And I don't have a lot on this, but and I, I would tend to think, if we're not sure, we know we can be saved. We would have a soberness about death. I think thinking would be more like, I believe they went to heaven. Uh, they were, if they lived an upright life. I think that's that we're kind of thinking. And one thing I forgot to mention in the beginning, some of these things maybe I'm kind of generalizing. Not everybody in the, all these settings would believe exactly like this. An eternal security setting or non, some non-Christian settings there tend to be more of a celebration of life when somebody's gone. I'm not sure why all that is, but I believe maybe there's some of it could be not wanting to face death and grieving and that kind of thing. Maybe we don't because they don't want to look at the reality of the destiny. Many times there's a preaching right into heaven, talking about the good in the person, but avoiding mentioning the bad or the sin in the person's life. So where do we want to be? Just in closing, I just hope we can all be in a place today that we are clear before God, walking in Christian victory, that if we died today at our funeral, and that's not most important what other people say, and yet they should have confidence, it could be said we have assurance of their salvation. We have, if any of you would die today, the other could say I have assurance that they were ready to go. I think there would be a time of grieving, but we could have the joy and assurance that they were ready to go in and out with the Lord. So may we be in that place today. So I just want to say God bless you and may God go with you today.